This episode of the SoFlo Vegans podcast has been brought to you by Seafood and Wine Week, Miami, Florida. For more information on our sponsor, please visit seedfoodandwine.com. Hey, welcome to the SoFlo Vegans podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell, founder of SoFlo Vegans. On this episode, we have animal rights activist, athlete, bodybuilder, and all-around voice for the vegan community, Dominic Thompson, on the podcast. On this episode, we talk about his background, you know, how he became vegan, what he's doing in multiple communities around the country, his relationship to South Florida, and we go into a conversation about the social movement in terms of people of color and a lot of other stimulating conversations. So I had a great time speaking with him and we look forward to doing more things with Dominic in the future. We have some exciting announcements coming up soon. So check this podcast out and check out our other episodes. This is episode eight. So we have seven other podcasts you can find at soflowvegans.com slash podcast. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Yeah, so you were you were talking about you're not you're not from the southeast region and that's where you left well, off. Yeah, I, basically, I, I think it's important now that I'm here in Atlanta uh, for me to do all I can to um, raise awareness down here and help grow the community, not only here in Atlanta, but in general in the southeast region. And that includes all the surrounding areas from Atlanta all the way down to South Florida. Um, I think that's uh, something that we all um, probably can agree to, and that's something that I'm really um, plan on doing in the next uh, uh, one to f- to five years with respect to helping grow Atlanta market, Atlanta vegan market here in the region here and, and helping empower the community here, helping empower the South Florida region, helping empower the Carolinas, you name it. Uh, that's my approach because I feel like uh, it's definitely uh, historically based on uh, what I have seen over the years with this region. Uh, it definitely can. It can definitely can uh, uh, use some help uh, compared to the other cities because I've been all over the world. I've seen all other uh, sub communities, other vegan communities, from London to New York to to the West Coast, LA, and I feel like we here in the Southeast region definitely can uh, unite together uh, and to really help uh, grow this community uh, as one. And that's funny because that's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you as far as your impressions of the different vegan communities. I've only had the opportunity to really be in the South Florida community, and I've seen how much it's grown. A lot of that is also from people coming from other areas around the world to see what I see in the potential of South Florida to be really grow into a global hotspot. So, you know... What's your, you're originally, where are you originally from? It's cause it sounds like you're, you're, are you new to the Atlanta area? Fairly new? Uh, no, not at all. I'm originally from Chicago. Uh, I was born and raised in Chicago. And I uh, went from Chicago to Nashville. I was in Nashville for one year when I was working in corporate America for on a healthcare company I formerly worked for before resigning last summer and, and leaving corporate America alone. Uh, but that company 
it took me from Nashville to Atlanta. And I was here in Atlanta for a few years before we had a big acquisition. acquisition. Uh, and that when that acquisition happened, there was an opportunity for me to go to New York to help develop that region uh, with respect to new business development in the New York area uh, with that, those hospital systems and healthcare systems up there. And I did. And I went up there. So I was in New York for about six years. Uh, and, and then I came back to Atlanta last summer, last fall, um, uh, because A, I resigned from corporate America, and B, uh, Atlanta's truly where uh, my heart is with respect to it's, it's my permanent home. And it's the, the things that I'm going to be doing here in the next one to five years uh, is going to be surrounding uh, this community in this area. And that goes from uh, launching uh, my second and third startup companies and launching some new initiatives, uh, even evolving where I'm going to be uh, opening up a, a land for farm and rescue animals in the next three to five years and also a gym. Uh, so that's why I came back to Atlanta. The economy is better here compared to the New York economy. It's mm. more affordable uh, for me being an entrepreneur, a full-time entrepreneur now, because uh, New York is very, very expensive. So during this time from Chicago to Nashville to New York to Atlanta, how much of that time were you uh, vegan? Uh, I've been vegan now for uh, about seven years. Uh, so, and before that, I was vegetarian uh, uh, for 10 years. So I've been plant-based, meat-free completely for about 17 years. Uh, I went first plant-based when I was 22, around the age of 22 when I end up going to uh, prison, uh, which a lot of people uh, are familiar with my origin story. I don't mind touching on that. Uh, but yeah, I've been plant-based in total for the last 17 years. So during that time, I do I would love to um, touch, on, touch on your origin story. Um, but, sure. But focusing on your time in those different areas because I've heard a lot of great things about the culture in, in actually all the places you've just mentioned. I know people who are from Nashville, from Chicago. Um, you probably know this in South Florida. It's like, it's the running joke is if you say you're a native South Floridian, they're like, you're, well, you're rare. Um, so the, 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 the majority of the people that are down here, from my experiences, they're either from New Jersey, New York, Chicago, and I'm finding a lot of people are coming from Nashville as well. But one of the things that I've noticed about those areas is that they, regardless of what it is, it could be veganism, it could be music, they have a, a rich culture or a rich um, history of people coming together behind one thing. There's this identity of I'm from Nashville. And that's one of the things, you know, our thing, we're SoFlo Vegan, so it's in our name. It's about South Florida. It's about building that same sort of community here, down here. So I'm always fascinated to hear from somebody's um, firsthand perspective of what the vegan community is like in those areas. So, you know, Chicago, like, tell us a little bit about what that scene looks like. Yeah, and I, and I hear you on that. Uh, you're right. There are people in this community that have been all over, uh, been all over, bounced around different cities. What's happening now in the community, historically the community 
it really didn't matter if he was a vegan of Atlanta, vegan of Florida, vegan of Chicago, vegan of London. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because the community was still very, very young. And now mm. the community exploding. It explode. It's exploding rapidly, assertively. Um, every single day we're getting new and new more people turned on to this community. And it's, it, it has transformed over the years into a very impressive army of uh, conscious thinkers and entrepreneurs and plant-based athletes, you name it, fruitarians to environmentalists, uh, plant-based doctors. Look, mm. look at the growth of the, the plant-based doctor community. So anytime you have a community, this is business one-on-one, anytime you have a community that's growing and at this level and this measurement, you're going to start to have sub-communities. And that's what's happening now. You're having these sub-communities where people are more identifying with that group of vegans that's in their city because that, the community is big enough to to actually uh, um, grow in that area and to create businesses in that area and create opportunities in that one specific area instead of looking at it like, well, you know, we're part of the vegan community, but no, we're actually part of the South Florida vegan community because this is what matters to us down here. This is the type of vegan foods we like down here. These are the type of festivals we like to celebrate down here. And so I think that's what's happening now uh, with the rapid growth of our community. Uh, you're going to continue to have sub-communities that's going to continue to be uh, branching off. Um, not to say that they're not associating themselves with like-minded folks across the world that are vegan, but you're definitely going to continue to see that uh, people just feel in the sense of, I belong to this community, this mm -hmm. sub-community specifically. You see it happening now with the athletes. You see it happening now with the, the raw vegans. You see it happening now more with the uh, comfort food eating vegans and and, and even the, the health-conscious and plant-based doctor community uh, is kind of isolated in that sense. So, you know, but I think for those of us that's been in it a long time, mm -hmm. And the, the OGs and the veterans like us and people that's been doing it for years. We, uh, and like me specifically, I look at it. It's just this is this community. I belong to all fractions of it. Mm. Uh, I don't like to identify myself, identify myself like, well, I'm a vegan in this region. I'm a vegan in that region. I don't and I don't think people do view me like that because I have been able and I had the opportunity to travel all over the world to be a part of multiple communities and to see how they do things when it comes to activism, how they do things when it comes to the restaurant businesses, how they do things when it comes to anything associated with this uh, lifestyle that we all identify as veganism. Um, so saying all that to say is it's definitely different in Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's different in Nashville. It's different in Atlanta. It's different in New York. It's different in South Florida and beyond. Chicago is more of a Midwest uh flavor with respect to the vegan community. I mean, historically, we were a blue-collar uh, region. Um, and in and, and that respect, we don't have the uh, we don't have the community infrastructure that supports like more of a high-end uh, plant-based fine dining uh, facilities out there, such as plant uh, and, and, and plant food and wine and stuff like what you guys have in South Florida. It's just a different region. South Florida is more conscious and more into more healthy eating, but also if they're going to eat the oily comfort food eating, um, 
they're going to want to have a, a great experience with that. And Chicago is more like diner style mm-hmm. with respect to that. You know what I mean? It's, and Chicago is more, I want to say more ethical based too, just like Toronto. You go to Toronto or for that matter, most parts of Canada, a lot of the vegans in my travels and based on what I've seen, and I've been, I go to Canada often. In fact, I'll be in Canada next week giving a keynote. Mm. Uh, you, you'll see and experience that most of the vegans in the Canada, in the country of Canada, from all the way from Vancouver to Toronto, are ethical vegans. They walk the walk. They're more in it for ethics. They're, they're more in it for the animals versus if you go down to, like I said, South Florida, it's more health conscious and driven off of fitness and stuff and nutrition and wellness and more of that. So it's definitely a different mentality, different lifestyle, uh, different demographic per se with respect to those different communities. And same thing with New York. New York is a little bit of a mix of everything, but the concentration in New York is definitely more ethical base. Mm. Okay. And same thing with L.A. You go out to L.A., you can you can find some of everything. You want healthy food, vegan food, you can get healthy vegan food. You want that comfort food, you're going to get definitely tons of comfort food out there. Uh, L.A. is more about having fun. You know, it's more about eating great vegan food, fast food. I mean, it's home to – it's the home base to the biggest to – the, to the biggest fast foods, uh, vegan chains around at, uh, to this day, which is Veggie Grill and uh, Native Foods. Uh, you have other chains on the East region. Uh, ranging from Hip, uh, um, uh, Veg City to uh, Chloe's, you name it. Uh, but they're not as big uh, as Veggie Grill and, and Native Foods in that sense. Um, so, I mean, that just goes to show you, you know, how big the community is growing in different areas. Uh, it's definitely different uh, lifestyles, and, and rightfully so. And no matter vegan or not, any community you have or you belong to, uh, whether it be fitness or business or uh, even college, it's, it's just going to be a different person that you're going to be dealing with that's have a different lifestyle versus someone living in the South versus someone living in the Midwest versus someone living overseas in London, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. And kind of <clears throat> tapping into you know the vegan lifestyle, what prompted you? You said you were, uh, you were vegetarian at first. What made you go from you know, eating, consuming meat products and dairy products, assuming you did that, to becoming vegetarian? What was that initial shift? Yeah, so I I had an initial uh, light bulb go off in my head when I was eight years old. Uh, I was eating chicken wings. I was always always that kid that always questioned everything. Um, And it just, out of the blue, I was sitting at uh, the kitchen table, stayed in a single-parent home, one bedroom apartment, uh, me and my mother and my sisters. And my mom was feeding me chicken wings at the time. And I, I just looked at the chicken wings and looked at my arms and I just knew, I just like, these looks like little bitty arms. I don't want it anymore. I was already at that point picking around the cartilage and the bones and the tendons of chicken uh, parts and stuff she was able to serve us. Uh, but back then, uh, the only thing my mom really could afford was uh, chicken uh, wings. She couldn't afford the chicken breast, and it was a different price point in those days. Uh, the kids these days probably wouldn't know that, but back then, chicken wings was more like the scraps of the chicken that were more affordable for uh, low-income families like the one I belong uh, come from. Uh, so it was pork and all of that stuff. Uh, rarely did we have beef because beef was expensive. 
Um, so, um, and I was never a fan of beef anyway. I just wanted, if I was going to eat meat, I was just like, you know, I don't want to see cartilage. I want to white meat. So I made that connection when I was eight. Um, my mom ended up compromising and just feeding me a lot of different fish sticks um, and those type of products where I wasn't able to see any bone structures or anything like that mm. uh, or see the true anatomy of what the meat was attached to, uh, per se. Um, so I made that connection when I was eight. Fast forward, when I was 21, 22, I got indicted for some um, being a part of a former lifestyle, which was I'm a former d-boy uh and i used to uh, do things in the streets with respect to selling drugs and that caught up to me and while i was sitting in prison uh i was trying to figure out why uh, why this next part in my timeline is happening here at that moment i felt like it was something bigger going on obviously for every action there's a consequence i get it uh, laws was broken, uh, but uh, what what happened with me was a, a very uh, um, how can I put it an unusual circumstance of a uh, of with my case specifically because it was just I was basically finishing up college and all any all my old dirt that I did from the past pretty much caught up with me wow. in a sense and landed me there. And everything pointed to that childhood memory when I was sitting in my cell, having an intimate connection uh, with the universe, trying to figure out what's going on. And everything pointed to that one memory when I was eating chicken wings. And I just made that decision there um, to completely eliminate meat from my diet. I made that promise to myself and to the universe that I get it. I, I finally get it that what I needed to do. I just wanted to hit reset and I did hit reset and no longer uh, decided to be a part of uh, a multi-billion dollar industry that's killing over 50 billion animals annually. I also decided not to put that poison and that negative energy in the only body that I have. Um, and I eliminated that too for that reason. And, 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 and thirdly, um, I decided that when I was going to leave there, whenever I was going to get out of there, uh, I was never going to uh, be a part of that drug trade anymore, pumping poison into my community. So um, I wanted to run away from doing any harm to any human or any animal as much as possible. So I made that decision right there. I denounced all that negative uh, act, all that negative stuff I used to do and those evil um, deeds that I used to do or be a part of, uh, I denounced it and uh, instantly transformed into there um, without hesitation. Uh, it only took that one time. I've never been in and out of jail. I've never been in juvenile situations and stuff like that. But it took that one time for me to sit down and to go do, like I said, do do calendars. And and this was my first weekend that I had calendars ahead of me to go do. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was sitting in a holding cell and I was going to get out in 24, 48 hours. No, that this was during the time I was serving my sentence. And it took that situation to really bring me closer to reality and to really, for me to find out more about myself and find out more of my calling, which is what I do today. And that was 17 years ago and I never looked back. So when you were serving your sentence, did <clears throat> you make that transition while you were serving your sentence or did this come in Absolutely. Afterwards? 
Wow. I made a transition. Like I said, the first week in there, <clears throat> that's when I stopped. I would trade my, I didn't know what was going to happen to my health. Back then, this is 17 years ago, we didn't have social media. We didn't have mm-hmm. influencers. We didn't have the, the nutritional facts. We didn't have the uh, cow spears and what the hell and stuff like that. We didn't have none of this information. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. All I just know that if it required harm, <laughs> then no, I didn't want to be a part of it. And I would trade my meat protein with my cellies for the carbs. So I ate a lot of simple and complex mm-hmm. carbs in there, uh, which was their size, whether it was pasta, potatoes, uh, you name it, uh, whatever their size was, they was going to get my meat protein. We had an agreement. This is here, here. You take my meat protein. That was like, think about it. If you're a, a traditional masculine guy, uh, eating on an American Western diet during time and you know nothing about nutrition, you're like, fuck dude. Yeah. I'll take your chicken. All right. Yeah. I'll take your beef or yeah. I'll take your pork. All for my sides, you can have all this stuff. You can have it. Uh, so that was like a, a, a jackpot for them. Uh, and I would trade off uh, my meat protein for their for their sides and their carbs. And I ate ate that. Um, and I didn't know what was going to happen. Like I said, I didn't. I, I was ignorant to what would happen to my body, but it transformed uh, within like 30 days. I went from being like a chubby. Uh, husky size 260 pound type of dude because uh, I was getting money before I got in there and that, that's just part of that lifestyle and dropped all the way down to uh, the lowest I ever got in in, in uh, prison was I want to say about 180 oh, uh, wow. in total so, uh, but it was solid dude it was, I was like I had no fat on me pretty much and I was one of the strongest dudes in the system. You're talking about uh, you're talking about a compound full of about maybe 1,500 inmates, 1,200, 1, 1,500 inmates. I was definitely in the top 10. I was squatting over 500 pounds, like it was under four or 500 pounds. I was deadlifting over 500 like it was nothing. Benching 405. That's four wheels on each side. Uh, and, I mean, when I was doing that, I was – probably about 195, 200 solid, just killing it, pow, you know, just plowing it out. And people look at me like, that's that dude don't eat meat. That's that crazy. That's that weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) And I couldn't explain it. Like, you know, like I said, I didn't, honestly, I did not know this was going to happen to my body, but it did. It transformed. And it was just amazing. I remember just seeing my body go through this transformation. I was like, whoa. You know, I knew I was going to lose weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that. I wasn't, ignorant to nutrition with respect to that. I knew the, I knew the basics of what they teach people and what they traditionally had taught people, if that makes sense. But I didn't know I was going to lose that much weight. And I also didn't know I was going to gain that much muscle. Like, you know, it just, it just, it just reversed, lost fat, gained muscle. You know what I mean? Mm. Went back, went back to, I, I mean, it was the best, my body felt like I was in high school again. It was just an amazing transformation and an amazing experience uh, that to this day, I I still feel that way. Like I don't feel my age. I feel like I'm 18, uh, but I'm able to put up grown man numbers, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And did that inspire anybody else to try it out, or were you an outlier? No, nah, I mean you got yeah, look, when dudes doing time, they doing time. You know, like that that might work for you, but that didn't. Yeah, they had questions. I mean, they would you know try to eat better and stuff like that, but that didn't inspire them because shit, you in there. You got to think about it when you. Look, I didn't do state time. I did fed time. So when you're in there, mm-hmm. you doing you you're in there with people from white collar crime to drug kingpins to um, um, bank robbers to soldiers that went, soldiers that went AWOL. You're in there with a bunch of different type of criminals or people that wrote crimes. Rather. I don't want to say criminals because there's some good people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people, last thing in your mind is like, what this guy's doing? You know, mm-hmm. no one cares about that. Everybody's just trying to get the fuck home. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's trying to get home and do their time. And yeah, that might work for that person, but they wasn't really interested in it like that. I mean, they was fascinated. They was like, wow, you know what I mean? But far as like them adopting it, you know what I mean? Like completely? No, not completely. You know, I can't say that. Uh, but they definitely, what they wanted to know is like how to lift harder and work, go longer and stuff like that. Uh, but again, I, and, uh, in all honesty, and I would advocate, I would tell them, you know, you got to stop eating no animals and stuff like that. But I didn't, I didn't directly at that moment in time while I was sitting in there doing my time, doing my bid, contributed like this crazy amount of strength that I was doing. And I mean, just the gains and just the progress. I just still haven't wrapped my, myself around the science behind it because there was, no, there was no science around anyway to wrap it around it. You know what I mean? There was just no information out there, even if it was available. Because this, like I said, this is 17 years ago. So I didn't know what the fuck was happening. I just know it was working for me, you know. And I mean, obviously, I knew everything pretty much pointed back towards my diet, but I didn't have the real science, scientific data to back it up. If that makes sense, I was the science project. I was the, the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the report that was happening specifically. I did my own trial and error specifically with my own body, and yeah, never looked back. So let's let's fast forward. You're you're released, and what's next for you after you're released? You're you're you went vegetarian, and you pretty much transformed your body. And now, what was the next step for your for you? Yeah, getting back on my feet. Came home broke. Now a dollar to my name. Uh, I had to. Uh, I was on curfew. Uh, I was on supervised release, and, which is pretty much an extension of my time, uh, with the exception that I'm not in independent penitentiary somewhere, no, no facility, no, no prison uh, facility. So, yeah, I came back home, just had to get back on my feet, and I did. Um, I was able to secure a job in healthcare, and. Um, that's all I needed was a second chance. And I was given a second chance and I never took it for granted. I worked my ass off. I worked overtime, worked heavy hours. I had to start from scratch. Um, and I excelled in healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, excel. I got promoted, um, and, and kept getting promoted and kept climbing from a, started fresh from an entry level position, got my way up into, contracting and development and PR and, and doing, um, um, business development and contracting, doing stuff, um, that people spend years trying to get to and spend and go to a college, getting multiple degrees, trying to do. 
Um, so yeah, it was just my passion to succeed and never again to be placed in that situation and never again take life for granted. Uh, so that <clears throat> that's what happened when I first came home. I had a curfew. I had to be um, in my place from 6 p.m. to about 6 a.m. Mm. I was only allowed to go to work. Um, my hours to be outside the house was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And during that time, like I couldn't even go to go work out. It was just go to work and come straight home. And that's what I would do. Uh, we didn't have, again, we didn't have social media at the time. We didn't have Netflix at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would go to work. I would work hard, come home, and work out inside my apartment. I had this big empty apartment. Only thing I had was Blockbuster Video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I, I, yeah, so I, I had a lot of alone time, just like I did in, in prison. Uh, you know, I don't have any kids or wife or anything like that, so I didn't have that distraction. Uh, what ended up happening is my mother ended up rescuing this little puppy uh, from St. Thomas Islands. Uh, people online know her as Scruff McFly. This is how my fur daughter came into my life. She uh, <laughs> basically uh, came from St. Thomas Islands um, because my mom just fell in love with her and brought her back to the States, fall hard and get her back to the States, and she did. So she was a little bitty puppy, and she was not getting along with the other dogs that my mother and her husband uh, had. So I said, just give her to me. I didn't know what breed it was or nothing like that. I was like, I got nothing but time on my hand. And uh, when my mother brought her over and opened that door, I seen this mm. <laughs> this little furry uh, Disney-looking puppy. <laughs> <laughs> With these big brown eyes opened up, I, you know, just fell in love. I was, you know, just scooped her up and uh, we've been together now for 12 years. So that was the, that was the point in my life where I just started viewing things differently. You know what I mean? Like, because when I came home, I was bitter, you know, I was mad at myself. I was kind of mad at the world, you know, I lost all this money. I had to start from scratch and I didn't know if this position in healthcare was going to be secure because of my background. Uh, and I didn't know, you know, how sustainable this was going to be. I didn't, I just didn't, honestly didn't have a clue. I just know that I was going to work hard and never give up. Uh, but I didn't know what the future holds. You know, I wasn't an optimistic guy like that at that point. I mean, I was optimistic, but not like very sure of myself with the future because I was kind of worried. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a felony. It's just like, what, you know, what can I do? And so, yeah, I, this little one came into my life and she helped really uh, repair, uh, I guess part of me that I felt like was depressed and, and, and going through uh, high levels of stress and going through that re-entry process that a lot of inmates go through when they come home. So inmates have their family to depend on when they come home, just like some soldiers have their family to come, come home. Uh, but it's hard adjusting to society when you've been gone away. Like I said, when you've been detached from society and not being able to touch another human or be a part of new technology and and not being able to sleep when you want to sleep and do what you want to do it's a big adjustment and i credit to her to this day my little fur daughter it's really helped she really helped me 
transition back into society and to be a productive human and, and really jump-started me being more of an advocate for animals than what I already was because I would have conversations within circles I belong to, uh, different people, but I wasn't actively speaking openly about it like I was until I really, uh, since she really came into my life. And, uh, yeah, and that's what happened. And I stuck with that job at the hospital system, did so well that two years later, um, me and my lawyer went in front of the judge to show my mm-hmm. progress uh, because I had a five-year supervision release. I mean, I couldn't imagine being on house arrest for five more years. I already did about uh, three years a hard time, and then they wanted me to do another five uh, outside with, like, supervision and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I did it for two, and we showed how productive I was and and, and how outstanding of an employee I was. and. The judge, he was a fair judge. He he, he released me. He let, he he uh, uh, gave me time served completely, and uh, I dropped the rest of my years off my supervision, and that allowed me to go from Chicago to Nashville. That allowed me to go into a new company to apply this new company, which I got recruited for, to go more in a high level position of in in healthcare. Uh, and I did, and I never looked back. And so I bounced from Chicago to Nashville, did well one year in Nashville, bounced from Nashville to Atlanta, did very well in Atlanta. Then I got that opportunity to go to New York to work on some initiatives with the same company. It's the same company. And went up there, and that's when New York is what really mm. um, kind of opened my, my mind up to uh, different different things, uh, different cultures. and. Uh, and I know everyone always jokes and say, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I used to have a chip on my shoulder being from Chicago, a gangster city. Like, you know, now we hold different breed, <laughs> you know, as far as the way I was raised and born, you know, uh, me being a former gang member myself. But it's true. Once you detach yourself from that culture uh, and go more into general pop and, 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 and uh, go more towards a career driven lifestyle it's true uh in new york the economy is very high uh your one bedrooms run anywhere from uh, 2800 all the way up to like four grand two bedrooms are like 3700 all the way up to five grand very expensive if you live within manhattan or brooklyn area certain key areas and stuff like that uh, and so the economy is terrible the policing is terrible the the noise pollution and air pollution is terrible. The traffic is terrible. Uh, but it was a great experience that I, I glad that I, I took the opportunity to go do. And it was there that in New York uh, is where I decided to, uh, when I first landed in New York, this cool app that everybody knows to this day came out called Instagram. Mm. And one of my one of my homies was like, "Yo, Dom's, you need to, you know, you're always preaching to us, always on Facebook talking about, you know, stop eating these animals and stuff like that, and you know, communicating that. But it's just Instagram. I mean, you should post your workout, so you should, you know, because I had a very impressive physique, and they was like, man, just you should jump on that. One of my friends suggested it, and I checked it out. I was like, all right, let me see what this is going on. I, I didn't know Instagram was gonna be as big as it was today, but I was one of the original." Uh, guys to jump on there and I did 
And my account took off because mm-hmm. I was the opposite of what you would stereotype a female to be at that time. Today is a different, whole different story. But back then, six, seven years ago, when Instagram came out, uh, here I was, a vegan of color. Uh, I wasn't skinny by any means. Very, very thick and strong. Uh, doing incredible things, posting it, you know, what I'm doing, and also talking about animal rights from day one. Mm. And it was a breath of fresh air for the vegan community. They was like, who's this guy? You know, like, and it was just an organic growth from there where people was like, man, you know, because back then, again, people in the community and people outside of the community always associated the typical vegan male as a middle-aged white guy that was either a hippie or some type of endurance athlete. Mm. And I was the opposite. I was the total opposite. And I was the only one at that time uh, at, on that platform talking about animal rights. Sure, you had some in other platforms talking about it, but not like I was. That was very passionate about it. And it blew up, man. It blew up within like a year or two to the point that I had the largest VML account at that time mm-hmm. on Instagram. And so I used that to my advantage to educate as much as possible. And I did. And my account continued to grow and continued to grow. And I was doing online activism and advocating and, and also doing stuff in the New York community outside of online communities and being a part of that, that scene up there with respect to activism. Um, but I decided to do that and it grew. And I, what I did was four years ago, I wanted to do more and to help raise awareness. And at, at that time, um, the poaching crisis in Africa was like at an all time high. And I thought, what better way for me to raise awareness about what's happening to the rhinos and elephants in Africa than to come out with a a dope shirt to raise funding for drones, to raise funding for rangers. And I did. So I came out with this slogan. I created this slogan called Eat What Elephants Eat. Mm. Trademarked it, copyrighted and everything like that. I had no idea it was going to go viral like it did. I put the shirt on, threw up my gun, and took that photo, and it went viral. Uh, to this day, it's the number one selling vegan shirt in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, and from people, you, Urban Outfitters have been for years trying to get it. And you can Google Eat Well if it's eat. You have companies like Walmart that are reselling it. Uh, it's an infringement. <laughs> it's definitely an infringement. And our legal team is on it. We shut down smaller companies that try to resell it through SD and eBay and all, whatever, uh, uh, eBay, but SD and other smaller uh, online commerce sites. But Walmart just recently learned how they're reselling it. So it, so it's the number one selling vegan shirt, followed by the number two, which is Clark Kent was vegan, <laughs> uh, which you see people like Molly Cyrus rocking and a couple other celebrities rocking. So I'm really proud of how that company just ballooned. It just grew. This is a size startup company that started up as a passion project uh, in New York uh, to help raise funding for these different animal initiatives. And we never looked back. And it got to the point that I had to resign from corporate America to run it at full capacity with its employees because we we really grow we grown over the years. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much a summary of 
what happened in the last uh, 10 years. And that, and those shirts, did that become Crazies and Weirdos, or was it always Crazies and Weirdos? It was always Crazies and Weirdos. Okay. Yeah, it was always Crazies and Weirdos. The the first shirt did not bear our name, Crazies and Weirdos. It was just Eat Well, Elephants Eat. Um, but once a, once a month passed by where we, the numbers we was doing and stuff like that, the business mind, I, you know, had to, I, I applied what I needed to apply to make it a legitimate uh, New York-based company, and that's where we are, a New York-based company. Uh, we're in Atlanta now. I mean, we're worldwide, but we're our operations, our primary operations went from New York. We just uh, finally moved through our last phase of moving all the operations based out of Atlanta. And right now we're developing shoes, we're developing coats, uh, and more. We're doing a lot of great things. We're crazy as we're those. Uh, so I'm really proud of that that company that I started. And where, what's the origin of the name? Yeah, it's a few origins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the the origin really started initially. One of the first origin stories is from me being uh, locked up, where again other inmates that was on onboard diets would view me as the crazy one or the weird one that was not eating meat. You know, it's kind of like making fun of our slogan. You know. Make a, well, that's how our slogan was birth, meaning like we're the ones that don't hunt fish and kill or exploit animals because we're crazy and we're it's being like sarcastic and stuff like that. Uh, that's part of the story. But also the other part of the origin story is uh, Scruff McFly, my fur daughter who I spoke of, she would come into the living room. This uh, is when we was in New York. And my girlfriend at the time, she'll look at us and like go to bed without us and stuff like that. Or she'll come back in the living room and look at us like trying to say like, what are you guys doing? You know what I mean? Or she'll, we'll get her a treat and she'll grab a treat and go bury it under some towels in the, in the a wood floor apartment <laughs> and come back and just wanted to see what we watching her. Like, you know, she'll give us that look. If she can talk, she'll be like, what the fuck y'all looking at? <laughs> like, like, you know, so she had that like sassiness about her very smart little one smart little one so uh my ex at the time will always call her like a weirdo she like that damn little weirdo <laughs> and uh, but she'll also call me crazy i'll be the crazy one and then scruff is the weird one so that's put two and two together crazy the weirdos and that's really where it came from um and lastly, people think vegans and activists are crazies and weirdos, you know, but we're not. We're actually the good crazies and weirdos out to try to change the world. Okay. And um, and one of the things I I was looking through your timeline and I, I obviously, you know, relate to this as well, being a person of color. You brought up a point as far as social as far as social movements and social awareness within the vegan community, uh, did you want to touch, would you mind touching on that a little bit as far as? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's important. People understand that veganism is really closely related to other social movements. Um, you can't deny that. Uh, it, it, it's definitely intersectional in so many ways. 
so many ways um, from the food desert issue happening in a lot of inner cities across America. I come from a food desert community initially uh, where the only thing there available to us in the inner city was uh, soda, ganja, onion rings, Cheetos, your, your local corner store that has nothing but candies and these high processed, high fructose foods with no nutrition in it. You know what I mean? We didn't have luxury grocery stores and the nearest grocery store was one or two miles away. Uh, but we didn't have produce in these stores and you have chicken shacks. All they had was fried foods, fried chicken or fried pork rib tips and liquor stores and stuff like that. Um, this is what the reality was when you grew up in some of those communities, uh, which is closely related to what we vegans of colors and vegans of non-color are trying to do, which is promote a very healthy, sustainable uh, plant-based diet. Uh, that's how those two are related. And, and so what's, what's been happening over the recent years is um, you can go to any, any community of, of color in a low income. Last thing on their mind is mm-hmm. trying to go vegan. Uh, I mean, they're trying to survive day to day with their paychecks, which is understandable. Uh, I've been in that in that type of situation where you know I'm I'm not thinking about uh, my lifestyle. I'm just trying to put some food in my body, and you know I I didn't you know prime prime example. If I was a vegetarian. You know, when I when I first came on vegetarian, um, stuff like I didn't pay attention to food labels and stuff like that. All I knew is that yo, this pasta, these ramen noodles is gonna get me back, get me to uh, the next day. You know, stuff like that. Or if I'm out and about, you know, I I probably can't eat that burger from McDonald's, but I can eat these French fries. This is years and years ago when I was vegetarian. You know, not realizing that McDonald's fries are still fried. In- fatty oils and animal oils and stuff like that. And it also has uh, some some other animal product in it. But you don't think about that stuff. You know what I mean? Just like these people from low-income uh, families don't think about that, you know, not realizing that if they had proper access to nutrition and food, um, it's actually more affordable to eat more healthy, you know, if you actually buy whole plant-based food instead of going to buy the frozen foods or the cereal boxes and the chips and the soda and stuff like that. Uh, so that's very, very uh, critical for people like me that come from that background to help educate people. That's why I'm a part of some new initiatives, food justice initiatives, where we go into these communities to actually educate uh, that community how to shop pretty much on a plant-based diet. The marketing term, shopping on a plant-based diet, is something that alerts them. But in reality, it's not even a budget. It's actually they can shop on their on their on their regular salary, uh, plant-based. You know what I mean? But anytime you tell a person a budget, that gets them to really pay more attention. It lures them into whatever it is you're trying to sell them. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I mean we have that going on uh, because. Those people in those communities, if you say vegan, they're thinking that it's an all-white thing, and it's not. And that's what I say a lot on social media. I say it a lot of my keynotes and my talks that this vegan thing, it's not a white thing. 
you know, people in the black African-American community tend to think it's a white thing and it's not. And, and I get why they will believe that because our media uh, outside of this community, what are we talking about? Something like men's and muscle magazine, men's health magazine or women's health, whatever. Or if we talk about even within the community, some of the, our own media, such as prime example, plant-based news, you know, if you look at majority of the articles published within our community from some of our vegan companies to the ones that's outside the community, 80% of the time, who do you see up there? Mm. Who's the focal point? Who's the person that is the face of the community that you always see that they're doing a story on? Yeah. The white vegan male. Yeah. 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 And that's just real. That's just real. And anybody that wants to deny that, they're living in a bubble. <laughs> they're, they're living in a bubble and not really seeing it for what it really is. So when you have people coming from low-income families and, and living in different uh, heavy-populated uh, cities that's mainly African-American or Latino, it, rightfully so. They don't feel like, oh, that's not a community I, I want to belong to or a community that I know anything about. They're thinking it's a white thing, and it's not. It's not because they just don't have those role models. They just don't have those vegans of color that have the platform, that have the opportunity, the same opportunities uh, that uh, other uh, our peers in this community have had. So that's why it's important for all of us to work together to help advocate uh, this diet, this lifestyle, for the, all the wonderful reasons this lifestyle uh, has helped done for this planet, has helped done for our bodies, and more importantly, what is helping to do with respect to slow down the slaughtering of these 50 billion-plus animals. We need to come together to do that. There's things I cannot go into, let's say, the LGBT community. I'm not part of that community because I'm a heterosexual male. Mm-hmm. But you get a, a vegan influencer that's what part of that. You use that to your advantage and have them educate that community whenever possible. Show more of them respect into the media. Getting them those opportunities to get the keynote. Same thing. There's things I can go to say to a young brother on the corner. I can talk that slang with him. You know, talk that street talk with him. Let him know, like, yo, this is what's happening, huh? Like, blah, blah, blah get on that level because he can identify more with me or if it even is, if it's an athlete, whatever the case may be, we have to use that to our advantage to talk to that. Same thing. If it's a male that comes from a blue collar or a Ivy league background, I, I can't go up into an Ivy league area. I don't know nothing about that community. Mm-hmm. I don't come from that background. It's a luxury to have both parents. I grew up with one parent. So you have to look at this, community like the Justice League. You had things that Batman can do that Superman can't do. You had things Superman can do that Iron Man can do and vice versa. Things that Iron Man can do that Black Panther can do. And it goes on and on and on. So we have to come together and and, and figure out better ways to show more include and, and include more and more includes have more inclusion with respect to uh, the influencers, with respect to the athletes, with respect to the musicians. But it has to start within because the outside media, that's standard industry practice across all industries. But we should be able to catch that within our community. You know, someone said the other day, uh, made a silly, very silly ass comment saying, you know, we are all one. And that's the most ignorant thing anybody could say. This is a vegan male, white male, and said that 
when I brought up the fact that these social issues that's happening, we are all one. We need to unite. Yeah, that's true. But if we was all one, do you think it'd be some a certain a certain person that fights for human rights or animal rights? Would there be a such thing as an activist that fights for human and animal rights? No, because if we was all one, there wouldn't be no problems, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the reason why we out here fighting for animal and human rights. Uh, and people don't see that because they're in their bubble. So, yeah. It's a problem that's important. It's a problem that I will continue to push through my talks, uh, through the articles that um, are featuring me, through the podcasts that are featuring me, and more. And uh, I thank you for adding clarity to that. And this is a conversation that's come up in multiple spaces. I've had... Part, I call it parking lot conversations. Um, it happens a lot in my life where it's, it's like I can spend two, three hours just talking to a person about a particular topic. And this came up and everything you touched on um, is came up in the conversation as far as the vegan community, you know, you know, putting the message out that we all should go vegan, but not looking at you know, certain situations where you do have food deserts, where you have people's priorities aren't on, you know, switching their lifestyle. It's just, you know, surviving day to day, living hand to mouth. And what I'm starting to see now in my in my conversations and my dealings with different people is that the solutions are starting to present themselves. You have, um, you know, hydroponics and different uh, technologies that are being created where you can take empty plots of land without soil and start growing, you know, produce indoors. And this, these sort of things are, you know, making it possible for nonprofit organizations or just people who want to invest in their communities to create guard food, um, you know, gardens that people can come and and get produce and all they need is just some area designated for that. So little things like that, I see... I see the growth and potential for the to solve the food desert. At the same time, a lot of work gets to be done in terms of members of the community coming together to be advocates for this change to actually happen. So, um, you know, I I'm appreciative of what you're doing and that you're putting that message out there, especially with the platform that you have. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I will, I'm going to continue to do that because that's something that, it's close to his home for me because I come from that background. Food deserts to different challenges to uh, dealing with even a crime and stuff like that. You know, talking about what we're doing to each other as African-American males and stuff like that. I mean, look, I, I'm not no saint. I come from a very challenging background, a very violent, back, poor background where, you know, I've been involved in situations where I, I get it. I understand. It's survival. It's like do or get done. You know what I mean? So I don't think a lot of people that come from privileged backgrounds understand that, you know, some people just don't have that luxury. They don't have the resources. They don't have the funding. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the same opportunities in general that you have every single day that you there's many doors that's open up for you to some people. No doors open up for them. So that's important for me uh, to continue to push that. Uh, information out there for people so they can understand, you know, uh, everything, everything matters, man. You know, uh, and, you know, and just like animals need a voice and I'm a very, I'm very passionate about that. You know, I'll be the first to talk, 
educate people about what's happening to animals. But there are a lot of humans need voices too. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's just the truth. They don't have the platforms like I do. Um, and I'm going to continue to push that because it's, it's, it's something just like, I know how it feels to be treated like property. Everything that happened to me in prison, with the exception of the raping, with the exception of uh, the slaughtering and some other conditions that factory farm animals go through every single day happened to me. Meaning like I know how it feels to be in a very close box quarters, even being in a hole with three steel doors to get to you and you're on lockdown 23 hours. That's no fun, dude. That's no fun. Uh, so that's why I passionately speak out about these animals, but also know what it's like to be, you know, broke as fuck living in a hood with just a pocket full of hope. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't fun to be in those shoes. So there's a lot of problems, a lot of intersectional problems that really go back to the base of a lot of different things, uh, all related to oppression and more. Um, so I think we as a community need to identify that stuff and also to be more empathetic to some of this stuff, uh, especially because we, some organizations have the money and the funding to really help develop, like you said, those urban gardens and stuff like that, but they're not, you know, a lot of those funding are just going towards gallows and other bullshits hmm. and celebrities and shit. So, and that's just real. So, yeah. So, so let's, let's close on this. What I, what I like to do with our guests, and I'm saying that like I've done it in the past, this is something brand new. Um, let's go over some quick vegan headlines and it's, Interesting that these two headlines have a tie into what we are talking about. And this next, this headline um, is this news comes from Veg News. And um, the headline is the tennis champion. This Serena Williams, I don't know if you heard about this, is she is starting an animal free athleisure clothing um, company inspired to help um, to made for powerful women. So this kind of ties in a lot of what you were talking about and what you essentially do as far as the clothing and, and having the message tied to veganism, but it also illustrates an example of, uh, you know, unquestionably a powerful um, uh, black woman that is putting that message out there, not only to, you know, embrace your power, but also it can be done while supporting, you know, the lives of animals with, so what are, what are, what is your thought on one the clothing line and two um you know having someone of her stature putting that message out on such a huge platform I, that's new news to me i didn't know she was going on that route i think it's a great I, I think it's great i think just like we there's a lot of vegan clothing companies that are coming out every single day I, i'm very proud of the fact that we're one of the original ones and and, and we're still fairly one of the, the largest and ones and best ones that produce 100% sweatshop free materials. All our clothes, for the record, is made in New York from recycled and organic materials, ranging from hemp to organic cotton that's sourced from North Carolina here in the States mm. to uh, bamboo. Um, so I think that's amazing because technology now allows us to do that. You can take recycle fruit scraps to recycle plastic and produce it in the form of a product. So when you have somebody at her scale with her large amount of influence and her resources, they're able to scale it 
it's just only going to make us smaller companies do better and get get better opportunities to to present to that consumer. So I think that's a wonderful thing, and, and kudos to her um, because listen, she may not be. I don't know Serena personally. Uh, I know she is vegan, but she may. Who knows? She may not be. Let me back. Let me back up. I know she's plant based, so I don't know if she's vegan per se. Mm-hmm. Like meaning, like, does she still wear leather? Does she still drive cars that have leather material? I don't know, but she's still getting the conversation started, similar to what Beyonce did. People want to shame and, and talk shit about Beyonce, and I don't agree. Yeah, she's promoting fur and all that bullshit. That's not cool. But by her just being plant based alone, is still saving way more lives uh, and uh, animal lives and also getting the conversation going amongst many communities that a lot of us just don't have access to because she's at that level. So um, sometimes, you know, celebrities uh, serve their purpose um, and we have to use that to our advantage. And and then the the final news piece that I want to bring up and this goes into the health aspects um, and fitness cardiologist Joel Kahn MD anticipates debating about the paleo movement the ketogenic diet fasting and the carnivore movement with pro paleo author Chris Kresser on the Joe Rogan podcast so what and and um and I bring this up because in your in your timeline, I've seen you bring up things about The Rock and other celebrities. Um, yeah, I'm not new to that <laughs> that area at all. I have called out Joe Rogan and The Rock and that that part of uh, that community you're speaking of. Yeah, I'm not new to that at all. That goes if you look at my town, that goes by years to me even calling out his one of his best friends, Cam something Camden or what the hell his name is um, some some weird name. He was a big hunter sponsored by uh, Under Armour, which Under Armour's founder is actually an avid hunter and stuff. Uh, but I want to say four years ago, I called the dude out because he just came across my timeline, explore line or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, he had taken the classical poles in front of a bear, a, gr- a big, huge bear he just shot down here in the States and posted it. Um, and that was a trigger for me. I mean, I see this man, you know, um, promoting this image of death and, and and what he did to this this animal that was minding his own business. Um, just like when I seen The Rock um, doing what he did with respect to recently uh, the uh, wells up in the uh, Georgia Aquarium, uh, call him out. Um, um, and it's not even in a disrespectful way. It's just like, let's educate them because how are you going to know if you don't speak? Mm. <laughs> you think someone is just going to slide up and this just, this thought is just going to happen on their own. And sometimes you need to use your platform. This is, it's my job. I have a large platform. It's my job to help bring awareness to these celebrities as much as I can, you know, to help educate them and hopefully plant that seed and let them know that, Hey, this is not okay. You know, killing these animals and promoting this type of behavior is simply not okay. You, like when The Rock was on top of the alligator, pulling the alligator back, um, you know, from his the jaw grips all the way back to him, his chest. You know how many you, you got over a hundred million followers, and I'm sure there's 
a high percentile of kids, males, young males, boys, young boys that follow you, that's going to try to um, uh, imitate what you just did. You know, yeah, they don't have an alligator in the family living room, but guess what? They got a family dog. They got a family cat. Mm. They got their little sister. <laughs> so they're going to probably go try to imitate that, like feeling like they're barbaric. And you just have to be responsible with your platform. I don't care what nobody says. I know celebrities used to like to push back, like I'm not a role model. Well, no, motherfucker, you are. <laughs> you you are. You are in a very um, fortunate position where you you are an influence, whether you like it or not. And you have, you have great power, and you need to be very responsible for that. You know, it's just I don't care what you say. You need to be. You need to be responsible for that. So that was important for me just to educate them. It was very respectful the way I, I brought these up, brought this information up to them. Now, in terms of Khan going on there with Rogan, um, look, I think it's cool. You know, I think this is the, from what I understand, the uh, this would make the fifth vegan male he has had on the show. But guess what? <laughs> they all been white males. Mm. They bring a different perspective. They're not representations of me. You know what I mean? Sure. Khan is bringing a science and he's going to talk about that. That's dope. You know, but before then he had uh, more recently, John Joseph, he don't represent me. You know, John did, he went on there, he did his thing and, but he's still not a representation of what I come from and my journey and what I would like to speak to Joe Rogan about on his platform, to his users, to his followers and listeners. Same thing before John Joseph, he had Rich Rowe twice on there. And before Rich Rowe, he had uh, uh, Kevin Keegan, uh, or I think Kevin Keegan came after Rich Rowe. I don't know the timeline, but the point is, he has yet, from what I know, had a vegan of color on his show. Yeah, he had, he doesn't even have a female vegan on this show. So I think it's important if you're going to be fair and have that large platform. If I was Joe Rogan, and I didn't fear someone. Uh, disagreeing with me uh, or, you know, because he tends to, his behavior from what I can see, and I can be wrong, he tends to have guests on there that tend to side with him or that's not as confrontational with him. Not to say I will be confrontational with him, but 80% of the way he view things, I don't view it that way. Uh, so I think it would be a, I, I would love to get on that show to really get him my thoughts um, and have a healthy discussion with him directly. So that's how I feel about that. Mm. And and then on that note, and we're we're um, getting getting a little bit long on this podcast, and I appreciate you you know taking the time to join us. And I had a great time, you know, listening and having a conversation with you in terms of your journey. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have can relate to some of what you've been talking about, if not all. Where can people find more information and and then more importantly, when's the next time you're going to be down here in South Florida? Yeah, so if you want to find me, you can find me online. I'm on Instagram, on Facebook. You can just type in Dominic Thompson. That's with a K. Dominic, D-O-M-I-C-K, Thompson with a P. Or you can just type in Dom's Thompson. I come up uh, pretty much everywhere. You can find Crazies and Weirdos at crazysandweirdos.com. It's the dopest clothing company out there. Uh, you can find me on YouTube as well, Dom's Thompson. Uh, my own podcast is also launching this month, mm. month, and it's it's going to be dope. Uh, so you can just type in Dominic Thompson. That's going to come up directly. And that podcast is called Dominic Thompson, an elephant in the room. Um, 
because we're going to talk about things that I think are important uh, and things that there's only so much you can discuss uh, through Instagram or social media, important topics from food deserts to uh, plant-based nutrition and wellness to uh, prison reform, you name it. We're going to talk about a lot of different things um, that people are just not comfortable talking about in this community or even outside of this community. So you can find me on that as well. So it's going to be dope. Looking forward to really pushing that out there. And I'm excited to listen to it. And as far as South Florida, when when can people expect to see you live and in person? I, I don't know. You tell me, man. You the man down there. Hey, man. I, I'm, I'm putting. I'm, I'm putting. I'm putting it out there. We have. Um, if you if you oh. plan on coming down in September, we have an event at Vegan Fine Foods on the 25th. I would love to have you stop by and 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 talk to because the topic is actually on social responsibility. So it would be great to have you come stop by, say a few words and um, have you have you as a guest on our show. So, you know, that that I would love to. I would love to. And uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm available. To 25. I know at the, I'll be in the New York region. I think it, towards that last week I'll be doing uh, the Vegan Dale New York event. But I'm like I'm like for the record, I'm all about doing what I can to help you guys down in South Florida, because Florida is right around the corner from me here in Atlanta. And I think it's important for us to continue to do what we can for the entire Southeast region uh, to raise awareness in this community, outside of this community as well. And and it's 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 amazing what is happening down here in this community. And the reason I always ask about, you know, the other communities outside is everything. We're all one big community and we also get to create unique experiences for people who are visiting so that way you want to go out and see what Nashville is doing what Chicago is doing what Oregon is doing then take little pieces of that to bring back home so we can continue to grow because when my my goal is to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism and by doing that we can inspire other communities to do the same then what that creates is a global movement where you can go anywhere and experience all the great things that the vegan lifestyle has to offer. So thank you. Yeah, you guys are doing great down there. I, and I'm, you guys are killing it. The, the restaurant vegan community down there, what I really like about it is the fact that you guys are being more inclusive, meaning you're actually having great vegan entrepreneurs that are starting businesses down there and, and really uh, – promoting the diet inside and outside the community. And you also have entrepreneurs down there that are starting vegan and plant-based restaurants that are not vegan, but they're still more open to the concept. Um, and, and that's still causing more access to people that are either vegan curious or within the community and stuff like that. Um, and really changing the ideology behind some of those omnivores. So I think it's, uh, it's a great time to be in South Florida. You guys are, are doing really well down there. I'm really proud to see the growth over the years of South Florida. I think it's amazing. So thank you so much, Dominic, and um, I hope to speak to you real soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Sean. I appreciate it.